Isn't it good? Something's got to grab the attention of God. It's got to be those little children that cry out to Him and praise Him with their gifts. I am so blessed tonight. That's worth coming to church over. I'm excited. Well, we get to close this great book tonight of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. We've been in this about two chapter or two sermons before. This will be our third chapter, third sermon in closing of this great book. And the title of our sermon tonight is Holiness Unto the Lord. Holiness Unto the Lord. And one more book, Malachi, after this, and we have concluded this series of the Minor Prophets. And so, Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 16 tonight. If you found your place and you're able, we'd invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures open. And let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and errant and fallible inspired word together. Zechariah 14, verse number 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bales of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be in holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seeth therein. And in the day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this great book that's challenged, encouraged, and convict our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we believe with everything in us that he that shall come will come. Lord, we pray that nothing would hasten that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for that great event. I pray the Word of God would challenge us tonight to get our house and our lives in order. I ask, Lord, that you'd help me to decrease and you increase. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our strength, and our Redeemer. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Tonight as we look to the holiness unto the Lord, the prophet Zechariah throughout this book has emphasized with great clarity that there is a day coming when the King of glory shall return to the earth and will set up his earthly kingdom. When King Jesus returns, he will come in great power and glory as heaven's ultimate warrior. He will come to do war with all the anti-Semitic nations. He will come in vengeance and wrath to those unrepentant sinners to abolish all sin and wrong. After the war that ends all wars, the smoke will clear, the ashes will settle, and there will stand King Jesus as the absolute victor. 
Not only is there a promised victory, we spent several chapters looking at that, but not only is there a promised victory for the people of God in that day, but there also would be some tremendous provisions. I get excited as I think about the chapter before in the Lord's descent. Remember, after the resurrection, 40 days, he showed himself alive, over 500 brethren at one time, the disciples on numerous occasions. By the Sea of Galilee, he ate broiled fish and honeycomb. When's the last time you've seen a corpse eat? So the conclusion was, Dr. Luke said in Acts, it's infallible proof that he's alive. He ascended to the Father. The men stood there with their eyes big and their mouths gaping open. And the angel said, why stand ye there gazing? This same Jesus shall appear in like manner. He's coming again. And the mount of ascent will become the mount of descent. And when he comes and he touches down on the Mount of Olives, the earth will quake, the mountain will split in two, and rivers of water will spring forth that flow eternally. That desert valley will bloom again just like he promised. The greater truth of that is there's a spiritual fountain. That shall be open. You know what that fountain is. There is a fountain of repentance. I think the songwriter said it best when he said there's a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge. Beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And I want to talk about those spiritual changes. We talked about the physical changes, but there also is a spiritual change. It's more of an internal change that will take place in that great and coming day of the Lord. Here in the golden age of the millennial reign of Christ, the Lord himself will transform the city of Jerusalem back to the holy city of God like it once was. It's not that now. Broke my heart first time we went to that city mainly because we come across the hill out of the Judean desert and we began to make our descent down into Jerusalem, the old city, and I, I saw that great building with a golden dome that has nothing to do with God. Matter of fact, it's blasphemous in its sight and in its location. The Dome of the Rock, the Mosque of Omar, nothing but demonic. Nothing but from the pit of hell. I'm going to get in trouble for all this. I don't care. That's the holy mountain of God. But it's far from that right now. They banned us from carrying a Bible. You could not have any paraphernalia, a t-shirt, a jacket, a ball cap. You couldn't have anything in that city that represented God or Christianity. Because you could be hurt by Muslims. Because they occupied that space. I'm just glad I have my Bible on my cell phone. As one time I was glad to be like the young people and flip and scroll. Because this preacher was still preaching downtown Jerusalem. That day is coming. Where God will restore that city to her rightful position. No longer will it be known as the city of Jerusalem as much as it will be known as the city, the holy city of the great king. That day's coming. And so the theme of the day 
of the Lord's reign will be holiness unto the Lord. And in that day, according to verse 16, the Lord will establish a pure religion. A pure religion. The Bible says in verse 16 that it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations shall come against, which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And so worship in that day will be reestablished. It'll be a pure worship, a pure religion, and that worship will include Gentiles. It's a day of desegregation, if you will. According to the prophet Zechariah, listen to this, not all the heathen will be destroyed in the tax against Jerusalem. There will be some who will survive. Who are those who survive? Those who will throw down their weapons. The Gentiles who will throw down their weapons, they'll throw down their hatred and their animosity and their prejudice against the Jews. They will renounce renounce their anti-Semitism and their atheism. They will finally believe in God. Why? Because seeing is believing. They will see Him for who He is. They will recognize Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they realize that their battle is futile. They'll throw down their weapons. They'll realize they've been on the wrong side. And thank God a fountain will be open. They can repent. And they can choose to get on the right side. I'm just glad I don't got to live through all that stuff because I've seen him for who he is. Somebody get excited tonight. I realized that my war against the living God was futile. I was on the wrong side. I was losing bad, but thank God he opened up a fountain. I saw him for who he was and I've repented. And thank God, thank God in that day, I heard the captain, the captain of the Lord of hosts, I heard heaven's ultimate warrior had chose me to be on the winning side. In that day, they'll come. Maybe, maybe in that day when they lay down their arms and they lay down their animosity. Don't you get big headed tonight. Why? You had your fist up in rebellion against God. For you got saved you as a God-hating, hell-bound sinner. Preacher, don't talk like that. I don't have to talk like that. Your words, your actions proved it. You're on the wrong side. Y'all gonna help me preach tonight? You're on the wrong side. You're as a lover of the world and an enmity against God. Maybe in that day when they throw down their arms and they throw down their animosity and they see him for who he is, maybe they'll just begin to sing, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. The good thing is you can do that tonight if you don't know Christ. The Bible teaches us it'll be a day of desegregation, but it'll also be a day of great devotion. He said they'll all come. They'll come up unto the king. They'll worship him. They'll come in great devotion unto him. They'll be devoted to the people of God. They'll be devoted to the practices of God. And they'll worship the person of God. And they will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I thank God that Gentiles, who were once the enemies of the living God and the people of God, can have their eyes open to this great truth. I'm glad God's still doing that today. I'm glad there's still people who can stand and say, I was in darkness, but thank God. Praise the Lord. I have saw the light. I'm glad he's still a soul-saving God. I'm thankful that he opens our eyes to the truth. So we don't have to conclude that it doesn't take drastic measures. 
In this age of the millennium, it did take drastic measures. Drastic measures, what are you talking about? Here are folks who have lived through the tribulation and the great tribulation in order to have their eyes open. Be honest with you, most of you did live through some type of tribulation before you come to Christ. Do you understand most of our testimonies have to do with a crisis of belief? God had to jerk the, wall, had to jerk the rug out from under you. Your world had to be turned upside down in order for you to see your need of Christ. And so they have went through drastic measures in order to have their eyes open. At the end of it, there'll be some of the great tribulation. At the end of that, there'll be some who had survived and extended a helping hand to the Jews. They will express their faith in God. They will be overcomers. How? I'm glad you asked. No different than anybody else. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's what the writer of Revelation says. So there'll be them, those that go through that time period. They'll see him for who he is and they'll have an opportunity. And there will be some, not all, but there will be some who will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And in that day, they'll worship God alongside of their Jewish brothers and sisters. To me, that's a picture of the grace of God. What a day to rejoice and a day to shout. Me singing that old song, what a day that will be. That's certainly one of those days. And worship not only include Gentiles in that day, but worship will be composed of great grace. He gives us the elements of grace in the rest of this verse. They're included in the faith. I'm talking about Gentiles being included in the faith. That's grace. God came into his own. He came to the house of Israel. He came to seek and to save that which was lost of the lost tribes, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who are we? Outside of Israel that God would open up and extend to us an invitation to come. What do you call that grace? We actually owe the Jews a tremendous debt because if the Jews would have embraced Jesus as the rightful king and Messiah, he would have ushered in his kingdom then and there. And it had been all over with. But because he came into his own, his own received him not. Oh, thank God for grace. God has opened up the gates wide open. The gospel had went forth. The gospel has been from sea to shining sea. And even Gentiles who have heard of Christ and have seen the Lord in the eyes of spiritual faith have repented of their sins and placed their faith in him. Oh, thank God for our salvation as a Gentile. That's great grace. Grace greater than all of our sins. Not only to be included in the faith, but think of this. Because of grace, we've been included in the family. Who are we as Gentiles to be able to be there in the millennial reign with Christ with all the children of God who's gone on before. Who, who am I and you to sit down with the Apostle Paul? What Gentile ever deserves to hang out with a while with Moses and Elijah? I, I could go on all night, but I don't need to. Who are we to be a part of the faith and the fellowship and the family with King Jesus. Buckle up, it gets better. Because of God's grace, no other reason. 
Because of God's grace, we're not only in the family of God, we've been adopted, we've been chosen, that's good. But he said, I'll make you an heir. I'm in the wheel, brother. I'm excited. I've got an inheritance out of this world. It gets better than that. How could it get better? Because he owns the he owns it all. The earth's the Lord, the fullness thereof, the worlds and they that dwell therein. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. He owns the hillsides and the dirt and the grass that makes the hillsides. His coffers are full. I've got an inheritance. I'm an heir. You said it gets better. How can it get better? He said, you're a joint heir with Jesus. The most precious son. The only begotten of the father. He's given us the status of being joint heirs with Jesus. Boy, if that don't make you shout, you're in the wrong place tonight. That's good stuff. The Bible teaches us it's grace. And so in that day, those who are once despised and hated, I mean talking about both ends. The Jews talk about anti-Semitism, but you've read the Bible too. The Jews have their own bit of prejudice and hatred. For those who are different than them. Those who are from outside the commonwealth of Israel. I didn't say all, but predominantly. We all carry our own prejudices. But in the kingdom of God, they'll be together. And so all of that once despised and hated, it's gone. Now considered brothers and sisters in the Lord. Worshiping together the great king. Our God, our Savior, one and together. That, my friends, is the only way you can describe that or even define that is by the marvelous grace of God. That is an act of God's unmerited favor. And that's what is defined as pure religion. We see a hint of that even in here in the house of God. What do you mean? There's enough hatred ingrained. There's enough stinking spiritual pride. There's enough prejudice over race, color, creed, and religion, and cultural backgrounds in this house tonight to turn every one of us into mortal enemies. If it weren't for the grace of God, we would all be natural-born enemies. Mostly because you and I are on the wrong side of the tracks from each other. You went to the wrong high school and you played the wrong team. And I ain't never going to like you because you're a patriot. I ain't never going to like you because you're a cyclone. And I can go on and on and on. I don't like you because you weren't from Chinkapin. You're an outsider. I don't like you because you're from a far eastern country called Walnut Grove. And God forbid if you come from Hickory Tree... Everybody shouted. They're representing well over here. You think I'm cutting up. You think I'm kidding, but there's a lot of truth to what I just said. Why do we get together? Why do we enjoy? The grace of God. Nothing more than unmerited favor that shined upon the Jew and the Gentile alike. They could see Christ for who he is. They could lay down their arms and dismiss their anger, realizing they're on the wrong side. They can bow before the living God no matter who they are or where they come from and find the same measure of grace that adopts them into the royal family of God. That, my friend, is pure religion. We don't have that yet, but please God, we get a hint of it from time to time. 
When we come into the house of God, we lay down our animosity. We lay down our prejudice. We don't care what color you are. We don't care what creed you are. We don't care what side of the tracks you came from. I don't care about your status economically. I don't care about your cultural upbringing. I just want you to see Jesus high, holy, lifted up. And when you receive the grace of God, we're all on the same place. There's ground as level at the cross. When we get in a frame of mind like that, you get a touch. You get a touch of pure religion and God's going to establish that way. Who wants to load up a bus and go tonight? Man, I'm telling you, that's good stuff. And he gives us the evidence of grace. They all kept the fast. They all kept the feast. They all acted in faith, in, in faith observing the feast of tabernacles. That was an occasion for a spirit of thanksgiving for the bountiful harvest that God has provided. It is by his hand. I think that's a good word for us tonight. Surely if you've been a recipient of grace, you operate in grace and there's evidence of grace in your life. Surely you're thankful for what God has done in your life. Surely you have times of festivities and festivals that just is a set aside time to lift up your heart and your hands and your mind before the living God and thank him for the bountiful harvest that he's provided in your life, both spiritually as well as physically. On that day, they would bring sacrifices on that day of festival. On behalf of the nations and the worlds, and prayers were offered for the fall rains, or what the Bible calls the latter rains, that would bring the crop into fulfillment. It would bring everything ripe. It would lead to a great harvest. And all of that commemorated Israel's sojourn in the wilderness and God's divine provisions and protections while they were in the wilderness. What do you call this? I would call all of this New Testament worship with Old Testament language quite possibly a glimpse of what worship may be like in that golden age. He'll bring all of those things that we just see bits and pieces of. And we see Christ, we see the full revelation of all of it. And God will bring that which is the old and that which is the new together. And it'll bring us to a place that we worship Him. Him. So second of all, I would tell you the Lord in that day will only bring a a pure worship, but also he will execute punishment for rebellion. Look at verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not and have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the fast of the tabernacle." This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And so we understand the Lord will establish a pure religion, but now we see in that day that he'll execute punishment for rebellion. What are you talking about? Rebellion for what? Rebellion to worship. All I can think is about is the short memory of man. We're so short-sighted concerning the grace and the goodness of God. We cry out for him, he delivers, and then we forget. We rejoice and relish in the moment, but a moment a few later, we're so short-sighted. Short memory of man, I, I do believe this act of rebellion that's spelled out to us in verses 17 through 19, I do believe with all of my heart that this act of rebellion 
will be towards the latter end of the millennial reign. Because I believe that no one who survived the great tribulation, though no one who saw the wrath of Almighty God firsthand pour out upon this globe would ever dare in their right mind to refuse to worship Him as King. I just believe that. But I also know human nature. After a few generations have come and gone, remember this is a thousand year millennial reign. After a few generations have come and gone and those tribulation stories and testimonies have long been forgotten, rebellion will also rise up in the hearts of men and women again. You, you do remember again that at the end of this time that Satan will rear his head and he'll produce a great following. He too shall be bound and cast with the false prophet, the beast, into the lake of fire. So I believe this is towards the end. And it don't take long. It does not take long for those great testimonies and eyewitness encounters of the great things of God to die if we do not pass it on to the next generation and to the next generation. Okay. We're one generation from extinction. I'm talking about Christianity. You don't believe me? Read the book of Judges. And they raised a generation that knew not God. Doesn't take long. You've got to pass the torch. You've got to train them. You've got to teach the next generation. They're dependent upon you. So I believe this rebellion and a refusal to worship the Lord was in the last stages towards the end of the millennium. And so I wonder today, could the same not be said about us? I mean, have we not forgotten the truth that is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Have we not failed to pass that on to the next generation? You don't believe me? Where are they? Look around you. Where are they? Where were they this morning? Where will they be Wednesday? You don't think I'm mean and I got fed gunpowder, but I wonder if Reuben stopped the food, where would they be? He did not just say that. Oh, yes, I did. Is that Reuben's fault? our fault we've stopped testifying we've stopped sharing we've stopped witnessing we've stopped including the younger generation in the things of God they're clueless to the might and the wonder of God because we've grown silent we've not held up the standard and y'all just look at your shoes that's when I know I'm preaching right. So shall it be in that day. There's punishment for that. There's a serious mandate from God. He said, go up to the temple and worship the king. And those who do not will be punished. Why would he say that? Because God never changes in nature. How many of us know that God is a jealous God? He is a jealous God and He demands our allegiance. He must be our priority. He is first and will not have any other gods before Him. And by the way, He hasn't changed His mind and He never will. In that coming day, He's still going to say the same thing. By the way, if you don't think He's taking notes and names, you're wrong even in this day. He expects you to come to church. He expects you to go up to His house on His appointed day to worship Him. Ladies and gentlemen, if you come to this house for any other reason but to worship the Lord, you've missed the mark. 
He expects us to come and to worship. And in that word worship, it includes a whole lot of things to not only get our praise on, but to help us in our hours of need. We are to worship Him. And so I believe with all of my heart, according to the Scriptures, that you will be held accountable for your attendance and worship. How's your attendance? How's your worship? Oh, I didn't say showing up. You can show up and never worship. He said, go up to the house of God and worship. Notice he rebuked their wickedness by a lack of produce. He said he's going to hold back the rain. No rain. No rain means no crops. I don't care how good of a farmer you are. If God don't send the rain, you wasted a lot of time, effort, energy, and money. Have you seen the cost of fertilizer these days? Whoever thought it'd be hard to get Kenny Beck potatoes, seed potatoes to put in the ground? They're fighting over them and paying ridiculous wages for them. No matter what you pay, no matter how hard you work, don't matter the expense or the effort, if God doesn't send the rain, no produce equals no crops equals want. And for all those who think so, I just go to Food City and get it. That's our generation. I'm going to stop there before I get in trouble. Have you ever stopped to think why there just never seems to be enough to go around? Have you ever wondered why it seems that it's so difficult just to make ends meet? Or you just can't seem to ever get ahead in life? I'd check your attendance. I'd check your record of worship. Hey, I didn't pull this stuff out of the air. I'm still in the text. God demands that his children go up to the house of God and to worship him, to honor him in the feasts, the festivals, and all of those things that he's prescribed for us. I believe that our want is a direct result of the lack of our worship. I think our world's in trouble today because we've forsaken the altar. We've forsaken the house of God. We've forsaken worshiping the true and the living God. I believe with all of my heart, if the people of God would go up to the house of God on God's day for God's glory to worship Him, our local news stations would be bored out of their mind. He rebuked them, not only a lack of produce, but also with the Lord's plagues. The Lord sure does know how to get a rebellious man's attention. All he has to do is, first of all, just get in your wallet. Ain't nobody said amen there. Well, you stingy bunch of Baptists, you know what I'm talking about. We're the tightest breed on the planet. God knows how to get in your wallet. That'll get your attention. Some of us, sometimes he just has to touch your body. Ain't nobody going to talk to me tonight. Sometimes by his touch, he'll take your health. Why would you say that? Because God's more interested in your soul than he is your body. He might touch your health. See, your poor health may be a result of your rebellion before the living God. You said you have no right, you have no authority to say that. I believe I do. 
I'm not going to point you out. That's above my rank and pay grade. I'm just going to share with you a living testimony. I'm going to tell you about King David. King David's sin, his lack of worship, not being where God had called him to be. He found a time where he found himself in great sin. And then he said, not me, he said because of his sin that he was living under the stroke of God. As we've been studying on Wednesday night, most of us believe that's leprosy, but we don't know. All I know, hear me, all I know is we serve a God who is merciful and full of grace. And I would tell you, if you're under the chastisement of the Lord, you can come before God, you can confess your sins, you can repent before a holy God. He will hear you and he will help you. Those whom he hears, he helps. David said, can I testify? God brought me back from a low place. God delivered me and healed my body. God put me back on the throne of Israel. God restored favor to my life. He would stand as an old man and say, I was young and I'm older now and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or thy seed begging for bread. I should have been dead and destroyed. My enemies should have destroyed me. But thou, O Lord, has been a shield about me and the lifter of my head. But listen to the character of God. He will always execute punishment for our rebellion. And remember his word, we're the example to follow, and he uses the term Egypt. He's referring to the days of antiquity and how Egypt was in the Bible there in the beginning and her story, but you know the outcome. Egypt didn't win. And he's reminding us here, looking at the millennial, that Egypt will not win. Who is Egypt? Our example tonight. Egypt was the first nation to bring persecution and enslave and try to exterminate the people of God. She didn't win. She won't win. Egypt was the first nation to do that. God dealt with her. And according to this text, she will rear her head again in the future and she will not win. You know what I'm concerned about and kind of excited at the same time? That sounds like an oxymoron, but hang on. I know what's happening across the globe. I'm watching. I'm watching with my antennas up. I understand Putin. Not really, but I know what he's doing. I know his desire. Sweep through that land. And you think he's going to stop there? You've lost your mind. There's another person sitting on the other side called China. Well, if they can get by with it, so can we. You know what I'm kind of concerned and kind of excited about? Is when they turn their eyes. I've read the book of Revelation. I've read Ezekiel's prophecy, chapter 38 and 39. You honestly think their animosity and their hatred is going to stop there? No, it's going to be targeted on that little nation that's very close. It's called Israel. There's going to be a federation of nations that said, you know what? They can just blow NATO right off the map. They don't care. They're going to destroy Israel is what they think. Many nations have tried. They did not win. And they won't win. Egypt is our example. All I'm telling you is when you start now seeing the nations start targeting Israel, go home, pack up. Can't take nothing with you. Just look up. Look up. There's a shout and a blast of a trumpet 
And Rusty said, that's the only way to fly, man. He said, you ain't never getting me on a plane, but when he calls in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I shall be changed. It's coming. It's coming. And they think they're going to destroy them. No. Egypt didn't and they won't. Egypt will try to rear its head again, but he will fail. It's a reminder to us that God will not tolerate rebellion in any age, from any nation, from any people, and that's just the way it is. You will not mistreat the people of God. You will not turn your back on the true and the living God and get by with it. There's coming in that day to execute punishment for rebellion. And finally, and we'll go home, the Lord will create a perfect, a perfect restoration. Verse 20 says, In that day, the day of the Lord's return, there shall be upon the bales of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all the day that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seeth therein. And in that day shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now what in the world does all that mean? It's talking about in that millennial golden age of God when he sets his kingdom up and his throne. He's going to make a restoration through an absolute consecration for his service. What does that mean? Everything, everything on this globe, everything will be set apart for him and him alone. It's all for his service. See, after the rebellion has been dealt with, verses 17 through verse 19, after that rebellion has been taken care of and punished by God, God will make sure there is no more distinction or difference between that which is sacred, that which is secular, and that which is spiritual. What do you mean? In other words, no matter what you do, holy service unto God or your normal life in the world all of it will be for God and for God alone really that should be our example now and Paul said whatever you do do it wholly unto the Lord so you go to work tomorrow and you think you're working for the boss no you're not if your life is a believer you're to be working for the Lord Jesus Christ and everything you do is to be a light and a witness for him but remember, in that day, all of it will be the same, whether it be secular or whether it be sacred. And so, in other words, everything belongs to him. It's for all of his purpose, for his glory, for his praise, and for his honor. It will be the Lord's house and the Lord's horse. I hope that you kind of live in similitude of that now. I don't own a car. God's blessed me with a car. I, I don't own a home. God's given me a home. You understand, Charles Wesley's house caught on fire. Somebody ran to him and said, Brother Wesley, your house is on fire. He said, you must be mistaken. I don't own a home. He said, what's wrong with you? Your house, right down the road. I know where you live. I know you. Your house is on fire. He said, you must be mistaken. I don't own a house. If you're talking about that house that God gave me that I live in, that's God. And if it burns down, God just have to give me another one. Now, I don't know about all that, but I'm just telling you. That should be our mannerism. That should be our mode of operation. It's all of God. And that day, it certainly will. Not with tight fists, 
but open hands. God has blessed us. So the Lord reminds us that even common bowls and pots that were used in mundane services and purposes in the house will be sanctified bowls on the altar. Everything will be holy, holy, holy unto the Lord not just something reserved for the Lord's day and the Lord's house, but every day and in every house is holy unto the Lord. Won't that be a wonderful day? And then what does he mean by the abolishment of the Canaanite? Well, in that golden era, after he's dealt with sin and punishment and all those things that only holy saints and holy services in that day, that means no unregenerate, unclean, profane person will be found in that land. Jerusalem will finally be what God has always intended her to be, the holy city of God. She is the central magnet of all that is sacred and pure throughout the entire known world. That's a glorious thought for the children of God. That the temple, the church, the kingdom of God, heaven and the like will all be purged from all sin and wrong. Nothing that can defile will ever be permitted in the presence of the great king and his children. (laughs) No wonder the songwriter said, won't it be wonderful there? What a day for the people of God. It's a glorious thought for those who are saved. But I close tonight by telling you it's a tragic thought for the man or the woman who is not saved because they have no place in God's future plans. Your sin, your rebellion has placed you on the opposing side of God, His family. Your sins have made you an enemy and will end you up in an eternity in hell forever separated from God, His love, and the family of God. But praise God for grace. I will finish where I started. Thank God for grace. You keep saying that tonight. Why do you thank God for grace? Because the Bible says His grace is greater than your sin. Let me say it one more time. As I said this morning, God is a better Savior than you are a sinner. Where sin did abound, grace, grace did much more abound. So I urge you and I beg you to come to Christ while there is still time. I believe if you're watching what's going on on the news, it ought to help you. Time is drawing nigh. We're living in the lengthening shadows of the last days. Any moment, any hour, King Jesus can step out. Oh, this all follows after that. Get excited tonight. Before all this transpires, we are saved. Get to fly home. Are you ready? Are you saved? I urge you, I beg you while there's still time. Give your life to Christ in repentance and faith. Come, While God is calling, God is drawing, come in this hour of grace. Run to Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've said and what you've done. God, thank you for laying out this wonderful future. Things that trouble us are under your feet. It's all in your hands. Your perfect plan will be just as it promised. For those who are born again, child of God, we can rejoice in what they will rejoice in, that there was a day that we've laid down our arms, we've laid down our atheism, we've laid down our animosity, we have seen you for who you are, we've repented and been adopted into the royal family of God. Thank God for U-turns. Thank God for changing positions. That's been allotted by the grace of God in our lives. And our deep desire is that there were others who would experience your grace tonight. Save those who are lost. Spare anyone, Lord, from going through what's coming. 
God, may our testimony be as Paul, that we've not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation in our God. Let it be so tonight. Lord, make it easy for somebody to come and give their life to Jesus. God, I pray you'd bind the devil, remove him from this place. Make it easy for him to repent and believe the gospel. God, take our feeble effort and your perfect word. God, you'd speak to somebody's heart tonight. Lord, may the bells of heaven be rung again and we'll give you praise. We ask all of it in Jesus' great name. Amen.